Would you turn your Bible, please, to Matthew, the 16th chapter? Matthew, chapter 16. As we continue today to think about the church, and today, the mandate of the church. Every morning in Bible school, we've been singing, Go Ye. Boys and girls, you remember that? Girls stand, the guys stand, go ye, go ye. And we say this is the what for our generation. The mandate for our generation. Let's all say that. The mandate for our generation. And Jesus gave the mandate. A mandate is a command. And we find that command in Matthew 16, verse 19. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank Thee for the mandate, not only for our generation, but for all the generations from the time the Lord went back to the glory until He shall come again. We pray that we shall be faithful to that mandate. May every believer in this room and within the sound of our voice be open to say, Lord, I will be faithful to the mandate thou hast given. Oh God, move among us today. Give alertness to our mind, our tongue, our hearts, that we might hear from heaven and speak from heaven and respond according to heaven's will. May the Holy Spirit do his work of conviction. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In Matthew 16, Jesus had called his best friends together, his 12 apostles. It was at the foot of Mount Hermon, up at Caesarea Philippi. He began to say to them, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And some said, You're Jeremiah, or you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets. But the Lord said, Who do you say I am? That's the important thing. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the Lord said, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You didn't just dream this up. It wasn't because you're so sharp that you got this. You got this because my Father in heaven revealed it. <clears throat> Boys and girls, the only way you can ever become a Christian is for the Heavenly Father to speak to your heart and to show you your need of Jesus. Now, if that's true of boys and girls, it's certainly true of youth. It's certainly true of older people, adults and senior citizens and all of us together. The only way a person can ever be saved is for him to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, the Heavenly Father pointing to Jesus in our heart. Simon, Jesus said, the, the Father in heaven revealed this to you. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, Petros, a little pebble. There are thousands of little pebbles. But upon this Petra, this rock, I will build my church. There are different people that understand that differently. The Roman Catholic Church has taught for years that that Petra is Peter, 
and that he became the first pope and that the church was built on Peter the Pope. Most Bible students who understand the scriptures and believe the scriptures in a conservative way would look at it differently from that. There are some among those that teach and believe that the Petra is a combination of the little Petros. And it is upon this Petra or combination of Petros, the confessions that Peter made, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, that it is upon that confession and the people that make that confession that the Lord built his church. And it is certainly out of those that the Lord has built his church. You cannot be part of the real body of Christ without confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's the Son of God. And it is that confession of faith upon the profession and confession of your faith that you're baptized. It is a body of people coming together to say Jesus Christ is not only Lord, but he's my Lord. He's my personal Savior, and I receive him as my Savior. Now, there's some of us who go a little bit further than that and say we believe that this scripture is referring to that which is referred to over and over again in, de- in Scripture, that is that the rock is deity. You remember Moses in Deuteronomy said, their rock, little r, is not as our rock, big R, capital R. And over and over again in Scripture, rock, petra, refers to deity. And so there are many who would believe that Jesus was saying upon this petra, this rock, upon Christ himself, the church will be built. And the apostle seemed to confirm that when he said Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone of the church. And so Jesus has built the church. It is composed of those who confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord, my personal Savior, and they're willing to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. And the church is a body of baptized believers who have banded themselves together to carry out the commission of Christ. The church is built upon Christ himself. The church was founded in Matthew 17, uh, 16. The church was commissioned in Matthew 28. He gave us a commission, great commission. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. But then Jesus said, you don't have to do that by yourself. And he empowered the church in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 and chapter 2. Ye shall receive power, authority, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. A shortened form of that same commission is right over the map. Let's say that together. Go ye into all the world. And every morning in Bible school, our boys and girls have been looking at that. And we've been giving a great missionary offering. And incidentally, 
be sure do not miss the meeting tonight you'll find out how they take the offering they don't count it they weigh it you'll be amazed when you come tonight and find all the excitement about giving <laughs> we ought to start doing that in church brother Lee every morning the kids can hardly wait till offering time and they bring great big cases of money from somewhere they've gone one boy said well I went out and worked and I mowed lawns so I could get some money to give to this offering <laughs> we'll see about it tonight so we could carry out the mandate the commission for this generation and then the Lord not only founded the church and commissioned the church and empowered the church but he warned the church and the other night we spent a little while in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and we may come back to that passage where Jesus warned the church seven churches five of them he warned unless there's repentance unless there's change I will remove the candlestick from your life and you'll no longer have the power and influence and authority that God wants you to have a warning to the church severe warning we'll come back to that at another time but I want to talk this morning about the mandate and the mandate is found in Matthew 16 19 I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven another translation has this saying I will give thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven implying that heaven is in charge completely and that he puts in our hearts to do heaven's will and if we'll do the will of God what we do here has already been authorized in heaven now what is the mandate what are the keys we carry around the keys if I had the key to my car in here and I pitch it over to Roger Robinson I'd say here Roger what would that mean if he was 16 and had a driver's license well that'd mean that the, our insurance agent wouldn't like it very well but that would mean that Roger could take my car go start it and drive it where I'd ask him to drive it. he would have control of it because he has the key now Jesus said you have now listen hold your breath fasten your seat belts he said you have control of who is going to heaven and who is not going to heaven wait a minute preacher that's impossible that's in the hand of God Jesus said I give you the key I give the key to the church you know there are some people who teach that you can never quite tell whether you're going to go to heaven or hell until you die and then God weighs all the good things you've done he weighs all the bad things you've done and if you've done more good things than bad things that somehow God will be merciful and open heaven and you'll go to heaven if you've done more bad things than good things then you'll you'll hear the awful consignment to hell but the scripture doesn't say anything like that the Bible teaches that we've all sinned 
that all the good things that we could ever possibly do are like trash before God. All our iniquities have taken us away like the wind blows the, blows the, the leaves away. It is impossible to do something in the human flesh that would please God. So how in the world could we ever do enough good things to merit heaven when all our righteousness are like filthy rags? So we know that the Scripture could never be used to substantiate such a doctrine as that, that if you do good things, you'll go to heaven. If you do bad things, you'll go to hell. Jesus said, I'm going to give the key to the church, the key to heaven. What is that key? Now, you can't take isolated scriptures and pull them out and stick it there and say, well, that's a, I'm just going to say that's, that's it, and uh, so on. You have to compare scripture with scripture. One of the great rules of biblical interpretation is that the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. You have to compare Scripture with Scripture. What does the Word of God say concerning this? What is the key that opens heaven? The apostle put his finger on it in Acts chapter 4 when he was on trial for healing a man at the temple. And they called him before the council, and they're going to kill him. And he said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name is the name of Jesus. And so we know that the church has the key. The church has the key. What is the key? The key, as you look at it in the book of Acts, was always the message. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood. And we don't have time to look at the whole chapter, but look at chapter 2 for just a minute. Peter stood. And he began to preach. And here are some things he preached. He said, uh, these are not drunk, talking about the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit and were going out there and talking to those 15 language groups in their own tongues, telling them the marvelous ministry and works of Jesus. He said, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken through the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He appealed to the Old Testament. Look at verse 18. I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Look down at verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified. Now that's the message. And over and over again in the book the key was exercised which was the message that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Continue to hold your finger in Matthew 16 and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice this marvelous statement in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. One of the greatest statements made anywhere in all 
the 66 books of the Bible, beginning in verse 18, 1 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, and all things, now this is, this is what Paul was saying to the Corinthian Christians was the main thing we were to do. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's dead. Be reconciled to God, for God hath made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I am a stranger here within a foreign land. My home is far away upon a golden strand. My sovereign bids me tell how mortals there may dwell, and that's my business for my king. This is the message that I bring, a message angels fain would sing, Oh, be ye reconciled to God. That's the key. The key is the message. And Jesus has given us the key. The key was given to the church. And the church has one big responsibility. And that is to take the keys and go find people who are closed in darkness and benighted in themselves and in their sins and in their worldliness and in their carelessness. And little by little with that wonderful message that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, unlock the door. My grandmother lived in Newcastle, Kentucky. She lived in a great big old house that was built long before the Civil War. They tore the house down some years ago. I have just one picture of it. I like it. I like that old picture. I lived in that house for a while. I was a little boy. And one time while we were living there, uh, the upstairs was almost off limits to all the kids. But one time, I was told to go back to a certain room and get something. Well, that room was locked. And so, grandmother gave me a set of keys. Now, if you ever had an older grandmother, when I was about nine years old, she was 80. That was a long time ago, and she was old to me. And she gave me that set of keys, and I... And it had a bunch of keys, and she said, now the skeleton key will work. Some of you kids today don't know what a skeleton key is. Maybe, I don't know. Do we use skeleton keys anymore? You know what a skeleton key is? Some of you do, all right. She said, the skeleton key. I looked and looked and looked and looked, and I didn't know what a skeleton key was. And here was one that looked this way, and one looked some other way. And then I tried them all, and they wouldn't fit. And finally, I found one that fit. I knew that must be the skeleton key, and I was scared there would be skeletons in that closet called it the skeleton key and I turned it and it opened it wasn't exactly a closet it was a little room she called it a closet it was a room great big as one of these baptistry rooms and in there I found what she was talking about now the key it was just one key that would open that door just one there weren't a bunch of keys just one now there's only one key that will open the door of heaven they're not a bunch of keys, just one. And that key is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith in what Jesus did on the cross, he who had never committed one single sin 
the spotless Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world and we take the message of Jesus and we put it in somebody's heart and we begin turning it a little bit. Sometimes you ever notice that a key is a little bit hard to turn and you put it in there and you have to wiggle it a little bit, wiggle it some other way. If you don't try very hard, you'll come back and say, well, that key won't work. Have you ever tried a key that you thought didn't work and later you found it it worked? That's the way the message of Jesus is, the key to the heart. You have to wiggle it a little bit. You have to give it a little bit different direction sometimes. You go and use that key on somebody's heart and it doesn't seem to work and they don't open their heart to God. Or they may seem to open their heart to God, but they didn't really get Jesus in their heart. They made just a profession. And the key needs to be wiggled some more. The key needs to be implanted in there and moved and turned so that it is clear that nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I claim. Nothing good that I have ever done or ever could do. It is not by joining the church. It is not by being baptized. It is not by turning over a new leaf. It is only when I come as a spiritual bankrupt and part pauper and come to Jesus just as I am and ask him to save me. He has saved me. That's the message. That's the key that opens heaven. And beloved, that's the mandate. That's the church's mandate. That's the one thing the Lord told us to do. The end of conversion. Toward the end of conversion. In other words, the idea is make disciples of all the nations. Go around Bowling Green. Find boys and girls and men and women in homes where the, they need Jesus. Get them under the Word of God. Do anything you need to do to get them under the Word of God. You know, sometimes uh, we, in our bus minister, we, have, we give away candy. Somebody says, that's bribing kids. Now listen. Sometimes we, I, I think it'd be good to, to give them a hamburger. Jesus did that one day. He had fed 5,000 people. Only he gave them fish sandwiches. And I'm sure that some of the scribes and Pharisees looked down the road and said, he's bribing those people out there. Just to come and hear him. Billy Graham goes to a city and he can only go to large cities because his time is so busy. But Billy Graham goes to a city, he, he doesn't give them hamburgers. I don't know, you know, about that. You know what he does? He says to the committee, we must have $100,000 for this crusade. $100,000, yes, because we've got to get the people's attention. We have to spend most of it on publicity. Publicity? Why, the Word of God is powerful. Just get up there and preach it. Everybody will come. Not so. In our day, people don't go without being, their attention being arrested. 
We're competing with a thousand other things. And so Mr. Graham wisely says, if we're going to have a campaign in this city, we'll have to spend 100000 or 200000 or 500000 or whatever. And do you know what that committee says? Well, brother, we want revival. We want people saved. And whatever it takes, we'll do. And they raise the money. Somebody says, well, that, that's bribing people. No, no, it's getting their attention. Getting their attention. Why do we have to get their attention? Because we have a mandate from our Savior to go into all the world. New York City, Birmingham, Alabama, Nashville, Tennessee, Bowling Green, Kentucky, Tokyo, Japan, everywhere, and give the gospel out. We're under a mandate to do this. Now, beloved, as part of that mandate, we must pray. You see, there's, there's no mechanical way to get that key into people's hearts. Did you ever think of that? You just can't do it by some mechanical means. You can't go up there and force it and force it and push it and so on. It has to be saturated with prayer. I don't know about you. I, the Bible tells us to pray about everything. I used to drive an old 1941 Ford. And when I was in the seminary, I was serving a church in Savannah, Tennessee. I drove 365 miles each way every weekend. I had a job in Louisville, and then I went to the seminary. I, the job in Louisville was from 5 in the evening to midnight. And then uh, I arranged it so I didn't have to work on Saturday or Monday. And Saturday at noon, the classes were over, and I'd jump in that car. And you know what I'd do? I'd pray. All the way. I'd pray, Lord, let me make it to Nashville, to that spur station where I can get some more spark plugs, because they'd go boom, 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 boom. And I'd pray. And the Lord invariably would let me get to that spur station. You don't know where that is. That was back on old 31W down in Nashville. There was a spur station around the corner, and they sold gasoline for about 16 cents. And I'd make it there and I'd change a couple of spark plugs, and I'd get it ready to go, and I'd drive on down to Savannah. You pray about everything. I had to pray, Lord, let that car get there. If you're going to give the gospel out, if the Lord is going to bless the work of the church in getting the gospel into people's hearts in Bowling Green and to the ends of the earth, we need to pray. Saturate the work with prayer. Nothing for eternity can be accomplished without prayer. Jesus said, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. And beloved, we need to pray for one another. When somebody has a failure in his life, so many times I, get in a, I just get in a, a slew of despond. It just hurts and I ache all over and hurt deep inside. I have to go to God and say, God, I haven't prayed enough. We need to hold one another up in prayer. Prayer is the mightiest force in the universe. Rather than condemn or pick at somebody, let's pray. And let's pray to get the message into people's hearts. Pray the money in many, many times. You know, listen, I think people are gradually learning that this is not a wealthy church. You can't imagine all kinds of people, folks who have said, well, Glendale's a wealthy church, they have money and all that. We just stay right on the edge of being broke all the time. And so many times we have to pray, Lord, 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 help. Every time we have a finance meeting or a requisition meeting, we just pray, Lord, provide the funds for your work.
We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our missionaries. We have a dear couple who are serving in New Guinea. I received a letter from them the other day. They're getting the key. They, they got the key of the message and trying to get into people's hearts. And we got this letter saying, we're having a very, very difficult time. Pray. And I'd ask you to pray for those precious missionaries in New Guinea. Dr. Charles Stanley, one of the great voices for God in the world today. He was president of the Southern Baptist Convention during a very crucial time, and people were taking pot shots and saying mean things. As a matter of fact, you probably read it in the paper, one, one group even sued him and the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention because something didn't go their way at the convention at Dallas. And dear Dr. Stanley, you know what he instituted in the Southern Baptist Convention? I hope we do it again this year. We've never done it before. Three or four or five times a day in the convention, he'd say, now let's just stop and pray. Get with somebody near you and let's have a five-minute prayer meeting. Can you imagine 20, 30, 40,000 people there praying? No wonder God is blessing and the work is coming back. Pray. Pray. Over at his church in, in Atlanta, the great First Baptist Church and the in-touch ministries that are now held, are seen by television all over the world. The church down there has a praying group that pays the price in prayer. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the great voices for God in another generation, preached in London in a time when, when it was unpopular to preach the pure, unadulterated Word of God. And somebody came one day and said, Brother Spurgeon, what is the secret of the power of this church? It was just before the service began. He said, I'll show you the secret. It's very simple. It's no secret. If you want to see it, I'll show it to you. He went, we went down, down a winding staircase by the pulpit down there to a lower chamber, and they opened a door. And there were 25 or 30 men, and they're on their knees. And he said, they pray for this work. They pay the price in prayer. The key won't fit without prayer. The message will not turn people's hearts to God without being saturated in prayer power. Oh, God, put upon our hearts to pray. The mandate of the church is to get the message out. But the message can only go out as we pray. And secondly, that message can go out more effectively if we'll pay. If we'll pay. There was a man in the early church named Barnabas. And Barnabas was a wealthy man. And he got saved. We're not told exactly how he got saved, but God moved his heart so much that he went out and sold all that he had and brought it and laid it to the apostles' feet. What a, what a marvelous man. The Bible says he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And much people were added to the Lord because of his life. He was a man who knew how to pay. The Bible says, Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. And some of us are selfish enough to say, Well, Lord, I tithe. Where's my blessing? My name's Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. God said, I didn't promise it like that. 
I said, I, I'd promise to bless the work of God if you'll do that. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not pour you out a blessing that, the, that you cannot... What, and then he went on to explain it. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake so that the nation will be... You won't be under a blight. I'll bless the farms. I'll send enough water. I'll rebuke the devourer. And when the enemy comes against you, I'll build a wall of defense and I'll protect you as a nation. I'll be with you. That's what God says to his church. But when we get that under that mandate to get the message out into people's hearts in this city and to the ends of the earth, there must be a support of that work by paying. You cannot give God. God will be no man's debtor. And then, thirdly, if we're going to get that message out, there must be preaching, proclaiming. Now, every one of us is a proclaimer. Listen to me carefully. The word proclaim is from the word euangelion in Greek. It has to do with the gospel. It means getting the gospel out. Sometimes we get the gospel out by radio. Stand right behind this microphone and the word of God goes out. Well, sometimes we stand in front of a camera and the word of God goes out by television. Sometimes we're just in a factory and everybody on that line is just living like a worldly life. But there's a believer there. And the believer goes about her work or his work with some poise and some purpose. And when all the dirty jokes come up, they're not attractive to this believer. And this believer, somebody notices that he doesn't talk like the others do. He doesn't walk like the others. He doesn't have entertainment like them. And when they have these big parties and they serve all the liquor, this believer doesn't go over there and gulp down the liquor. He's, he's, got a, he's different. And they say, huh, something different there. And they're getting the gospel out by a lifestyle. But the lifestyle is not enough. God gave us a tongue. And he said we're to go and tell whether we're a preacher who tells everybody like this, a missionary who goes and deals with people in villages and in cities and in the country, or whether we're a factory worker or an office worker or a school teacher or a policeman or we're a fireman or we're out there where the people are we're still proclaiming the glorious gospel. A preacher. And if the key, the word of God, the message of God is to unlock hearts, there must be prayer. We must pay the price. And there must be the proclaiming of the word. Somebody is going to receive that word. Not everybody, but somebody. Illustration after illustration could be given to people who are open to the Word. This past week, Paul, come up here a minute. I want to talk to you. Come up here. That's just Paul. Paul Hope. Come up here. God uses all kinds of strange things. Now, he's going to be scared to death. I don't blame you, Paul. I'll be with you. The <laughs> Lord's going to be with you. And do you know that this guy and his family had a fire? And it destroyed everything they had. Everything. They, they didn't have anything. They lived over in Butler County. They had to move to Bowling Green. 
And God has little by little been restoring this. But because of that fire, his daddy with severe burns on his legs was put in the hospital. I was at the hospital one day and I met them. Began to just talk to them and witness to them. Gave their name to one of our bus pastors, Brother Mickey. And Brother Mickey went by and they began to come. And they came to Bible school. And this week, the other day, I said, is there anybody here who would like to give your heart to Jesus? I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up? And Paul's hand went up. And then I told him how to be saved. Ask him to ask Jesus to come in your heart. And then I said, if there's anybody here who just prayed and asked Jesus to come in your heart, hold your hand up. And Paul's hand went up. And then to make it a little bit harder, I said, well, if you have really wanted Jesus in your heart, I want you to come and stand by me. And Paul got up and came and stood by me. You know what he did? He went home excited. He said, I love Glendale. And he said, I, I've been saved. I want to be baptized. And he brought his mother and daddy with him the next day, and this guy was baptized. God bless you, Paul. Thanks. You go receive. Now, you, you just gave a witness for the Lord, Paul. <laughs> God bless you. Uh, I didn't tell him I was going to do that, so he may be upset with me. God bless you, buddy. I want to tell you, that's what getting the message out is. We all join hands. We're under a terrible mandate to get the Word of God out. We do it in a lot of different ways. But everybody here can be involved. It's everybody's job. And all of us together can join hands in taking the message to people. But somebody has to receive that message. Paul received it. There are others here today who may need to receive it. You may need to say, Lord, I, I want to be saved. I've never been saved. I want that key to unlock my door to heaven. If you'll accept the message I've just given you, that Jesus died for you. He's already paid the whole price. And if you'll just believe upon him and repent of your sins, asking him to come into your heart, put your faith in him, he'll save you right now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed. Every eye closed for just a moment. Father, thank you for this mandate you've given the church. Thank you for the key that can unlock people's hearts. Oh, God, we pray that the Glendale Baptist Church, as we close the 32nd year and begin later on in the year to start the 33rd year of this church, we will be faithful with the key the message that can unlock people's hearts for God. We pray that somebody here today would open his heart to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. What's our song? 249, Charlotte Elliott's great hymn, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. I come to thee. When you have found that song, look this way, 249. The invitation is very simple. I want to ask some who have never been saved, you've never come to Christ, to come today and take that stand for Jesus. If you are already a Christian and you need to take a renewed stand for Christ or move your letter to this church, you do what God tells you to do. While we begin to sing, who will come first for the King this morning? Will you step out for Christ?